Section 2 of A Treatise on Bread and Breadmaking by Sylvester Graham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. Laws of Diet Reasons why food in its natural state would be the best. Concentrated nutriment. Interesting experiments on animals. Mixtures of food. Leavened and unleavened bread. Qualifications of the best bread. If man were to subsist wholly on alimentary substances in their natural state, or without any artificial preparation by cooking, then he would be obliged to use his teeth freely in masticating his food, and by so doing, not only preserve his teeth from decay and keep them in sound health, but at the same time, and by the same means, would he thoroughly mix his food with the fluid of his mouth, and thus prepare it both for swallowing and for the action of the stomach, and by the same means also, he would be made to swallow his food slowly, as the welfare of the stomach and of the whole system requires he should. Again, if man were to subsist wholly on uncooked food, he would never suffer from the improper temperature of this aliment. Hot substances taken into the mouth serve more directly and powerfully to destroy the teeth than any other cause which acts immediately upon them, and hot food and drink received into the stomach always in some degree debilitate that organ, and through it every other organ and portion of the whole system, diminishing, as an ultimate result, the vital power of every part, impairing every function, and increasing the susceptibility of the whole body to the action of disturbing causes, and predisposing it to disease. Again, if man were to subsist entirely on food in a natural state, he would never suffer from concentrated aliment. Every substance in nature which God has prepared for the food of man consists of both nutritious and innutritious matter. The proportions vary in different kinds of food. Thus, in a hundred pounds of potatoes, there are about twenty-five pounds of nourishing matter, while in a hundred pounds of good wheat there are about eighty pounds of nourishing matter. There are a few products of the vegetable kingdom which are still higher in the scale of nutriment than wheat, and on the other hand there is a boundless variety ranging below wheat, extending down to three or four percent of nourishment. But nature, without the aid of human art, produces nothing for the alimentary use of man which is purely a concentrated nutrient substance, and God has constructed man in strict accordance with this general economy of nature. He has organized and endowed the human body with reference to the condition and qualities of those substances in nature, which he designed for the food of man. And consequently, while man obeys the laws of constitution and relation which should govern him in regard to his food, he preserves the health and integrity of his alimentary organs, and through them of his whole nature, and so far as his dietetic habits are concerned, secures the highest and best condition of his nature. But if he disregards these laws, and by artificial means greatly departs from the natural adaptation of things, he inevitably brings evil on himself and on his posterity. It has been fully proved that bulk, or a due proportion of innutritious matter in our food, is quite as important to health as nourishment. Human beings may subsist from childhood to extreme old age on good potatoes and pure water alone, and enjoy the best and most uninterrupted health, and possess the greatest muscular power and ability to endure protracted fatigue and exposure. But if the purely nutrient matter of the potato be separated out by artificial means, and human beings, fed exclusively on this concentrated form of aliment and pure water, they will soon perish, because the alimentary organs of man are not constituted and endowed for such kinds of food, and this is true of all animals, in the higher orders, at least. We know that dogs fed on sugar and water, gum and water, fine flour bread and water, or any other kind of concentrated aliment, will soon languish and droop and emaciate and die. But if a due proportion of proper and nutritious substance be mixed with these concentrated forms of aliment, the dogs will subsist on them and remain healthy. So if horses, cows, deer, sheep, and other grass-eating animals be fed on grain alone, they will soon lose their appetite and begin to droop, and will shortly perish. 
but if a due proportion of straw or shavings of wood be given them with their grain, they will continue to do well. Man is affected in the same manner. He cannot long subsist on purely nutritious substances. And the reason is not because these substances have no azote or nitrogen in them, nor is it because man necessarily requires a variety of alimentary substances, but simply and exclusively because the anatomical construction and vital powers of the alimentary organs are constitutionally adapted to alimentary substances, which consist of both nutritious and innutritious matter. And therefore, a due proportion of innutritious matter in the food of man is essential to the welfare of his alimentary organs, as a due proportion of nourishment is to the support of his body. Again, if man subsisted wholly on uncooked food, he would not only be preserved from improper concentrations, but also from pernicious combinations of alimentary substances. The alimentary organs of man, like those of the horse, ox, sheep, dog, cat, and most or all other animals of the higher orders, if not, in fact, of all other animals without limitation, possess the vital capability of so accommodating themselves to emergencies that they can be made to digest almost every vegetable and animal substance in nature." and they can, by long training, be educated to digest a mixture of these substances at the same time. Nevertheless, it is incontestably true that the alimentary organs of man and of all other animals can manage one kind of food at a time better than a mixed ingestion, for it is impossible that the solvent fluids secreted by the stomach and other organs belonging to the alimentary apparatus should be at the same time equally well adapted to entirely different kinds of food. I do not say that the alimentary organs of man cannot, by long habit, be brought into such a condition as that, while that condition remains, they will not manage a mixed ingestion of animal and vegetable food, with more immediate comfort and satisfaction to themselves and the individual, than they will an ingestion of pure vegetable food. But this does not militate against the general principle in the least, for it is nevertheless true that the same organs are capable of being brought into a condition in which they will manage an ingestion of unmixed food of either kind, with less embarrassment and injury to themselves and the whole system, than they can the mixed food in any condition. Hence it is a general law of nature, concerning the dietetic habits of man, that simplicity of food at each meal is essential to the highest well-being of the individual and of the race. God has unquestionably provided a great and rich variety of substances for man's nourishment and enjoyment, but it is equally certain that he did not design that man should partake of all this variety at a single meal, nor in a single day, nor season but from meal to meal, from day to day, and from season to season, varying his enjoyment in strictest consistency with the great laws of nature. And hence all artificial combinations of alimentary substances, and particularly those of a heterogeneous kind, and yet more especially the concentrated forms, must be more or less pernicious to the alimentary organs, and through them to the whole system. Finally, if man subsisted wholly on uncooked food, the undepraved integrity of his appetite, his thorough mastication and slow swallowing, and his simple meal, would greatly serve to prevent his overeating, and thus save him from the ruinous effects of one of the most destructive causes operating in civic life. Whatever may be the material, therefore, from which bread is made, when the artificial preparation is of that simple character which leaves the proportions of nutritious and innutritious properties as nature combined them, and effects little change in the nutritious principles, and retains the natural requisition for the function of the teeth, and thus secures the proper chewing of the food, and the mixing of it with the fluids of the mouth, and swallowing of it slowly, the artificial process militates very little, if at all, against any of the physiological or vital interests of the body. But if our artificial process of bread-making concentrates the nutrient properties, and destroys the due proportion between the bulk and nourishment, and forms improper changes and combinations in the nutrient elements, and does away the necessity for mastication or chewing, and presents the food in too elevated a temperature, or too hot, 
and enables us to swallow it too rapidly with little or no exercise of the teeth and without properly mixing it with the fluids of the mouth the artificial process or cooking is decidedly and often exceedingly inimical not only to the vital interests of the alimentary organs but of the whole human system in all civilized nations and particularly in civic life bread as i have already stated is by far the most important article of food which is artificially prepared and in our country and climate it is the most important article that enters into the diet of man and therefore it is of the first consideration that its character should in every respect be as nearly as possible consistent with the laws of constitution and relation established in our nature or with the anatomical construction and vital properties and powers and interest of our systems if we contemplate the human constitution in its highest and best condition in the possession of its most vigorous and unimpaired powers and ask what must be the character of our bread in order to preserve that constitution in that condition the answer most indubitably is that the coarse unleavened bread of early times when of proper age was one of the least removed from the natural state of food one of the simplest and most wholesome forms of artificial preparations and best adapted to fulfil the laws of constitution and relation and therefore best adapted to sustain the most vigorous and healthy state of the alimentary organs and the highest and best condition of the whole nature of man as a general and permanent fact and hence it is very questionable whether loaf or raised bread can be made equally conducive to all interests of our nature with the simple unleavened bread i am aware that many professional men entertain a very different opinion on this subject and speak of unleavened bread as being less nourishing and less easily digested this may be true to a limited extent in special cases of impaired and debilitated alimentary organs but i am confident that as a general fact the notion is entirely erroneous the whole people of asia says dr cullen live upon unfermented rice the americans before they became acquainted with the europeans employed and for the most part still employ their maize in the same condition even in europe the employment of unfermented bread and unfermented farinaceae in other forms is still very considerable and we are ready to maintain that the morbid consequences of such a diet are very seldom to be observed in scotland nine-tenths of the lower classes of people and that is the greater part of the whole live upon unfermented bread and unfermented farinaceae in other forms and at the same time i am of the opinion that there are not a more healthy people anywhere to be found we give it to all classes and both sexes with advantage it is incontestably true that if two portions of the same kind of wheat meal be taken and made and one to unleavened and the other into leavened bread and both be eaten warm from the oven the leavened bread will prove much more oppressive and difficult to manage in the stomach than the unleavened but aside from the changes that are produced by the process of fermentation there are many other considerations why unleavened bread of a proper quality and age is better adapted to sustain the alimentary organs and general constitution of man in their highest and best condition nevertheless it is very certain that loaf or raised bread can be made so nearly in accordance with the vital laws and interests of our bodies as scarcely to militate against them in any perceptible or appreciable degree and when i say this i mean not merely its effects on the health and longevity of a single individual but its effects upon the human constitution through successive generations for a thousand years or more as a general criterion or rule then in regard to the character of bread we perceive that the most perfect loaf of raised bread is that which being made of the best material is light and sweet and well baked and still most nearly retains all the natural proportions and properties of the original material end of section two